Welcome to another Calvary Baltimore B-Side with our senior pastor, Josh Plantholt. B-Sides are a companion to the weekly sermon, giving an in-depth look behind the teaching. Now with running commentary to complement this week's sermon, here's Pastor Josh. Well, welcome. Uh, Welcome to B-Sides. This is the B-Side for Revelation chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, However... Um, whenever uh, we, we come to a B-side, and uh, depending on how many verses we have, if it's normally one verse, uh, sometimes I don't have too much more to share because I thought, you know, I as best as I could exhausted the, the verse on, um, on Sunday. Uh, that happens to be the case for this uh this uh, chapter 12, verse 12, our Sunday sermon. And of course, I can go down other rabbit trails, but I, as far as being faithful to the text, I, I thought I was. So I wanted to do something a little bit different today. Instead of just uh, not having a B-side, uh, I wanted to look at um, an, an ancient manuscript that I think parallels uh, the study very well. Uh, and it's the epistle of Diognetius. Uh, uh, it's an apologetics writing uh, written um, written in the 100s. They don't exactly know where. Diognetius. Uh, Nidus. Uh, and it, he introduces himself as a disciple of one of the apostles. Uh, and a lot of people seem to think it's genuine and real and uh, the, the dating is accurate. Uh, so we have uh, one of our earliest letters. Of course, it's a um, it's written, of course, to somebody. We don't know who, who wrote it. Um, written to Diognetus. And uh, it's, the person who wrote it was a, a disciple of one of the apostles. So he's one generation removed from Jesus Christ. Uh, from what, One line removed from Jesus. So this is very early. This is, this is what the, the apostles taught the early church. Uh, so when we come to these really ancient patristic fathers' writings, uh, they can be really helpful to us in uh, how early Christians who knew the apostles, how the apostles took the writings and then lived them out. And so that's what I want to do. And so in this uh, epistle uh, to Diognetus, uh, I want to start at ver- uh, chapter seven, <clears throat> and I-, I want you—I want you to see what the early disciples and epistles lived like. Because when, when I talked on Sunday, I talked a lot about, of course, celebrating when God brings us victories. I talked—I I talked about. Why God allow sufferings in this world? And of course, that's to advance the gospel. And then finally, I talked about living in a readiness, but in the will of God. Uh, and that's where I think this fits in well. I almost could have continued on with this on Sunday. So um, here we go. Uh, chapter 7, for the Christians, and again, we don't know who wrote this. All we know is it's first, it's second century. For the Christians are distinguished from other men, neither by country, nor language, nor the customs for which uh, they observe observe. And so he's been building this case that the Christians are a different sort of people. And he's explaining as an apologetics work what Christians act like, what they talk like, what 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 they strive for. And in chapter 7 he he opens up by saying that they are very different uh in that they they aren't they don't segregate themselves by country and group into one little gathering. 
you know, they put themselves on an island somewhere and we're God's chosen people. Uh, they don't make a new language for themselves or hold to ancient languages. Uh, and they don't have very strange customs. Uh, and what he's building upon contextually here is he just won a few chapters distinguishing what the early church was compared, because in Rome, it was the, 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 a lot of the Jewish people went to Rome and said, this is a cult of Judaism that needed to be extinguished. It placed them outside of the protection that the Jews had under Roman law, and they, they claimed they were from Judaism. But here he's saying in this letter that they're very different than the Jewish people. Uh, for they neither inhabit cities of their own, nor employ a particular form of speech, nor lead a life which is marked out by any singularity. So they don't seem to be very different. The course of conduct which they follow has not been devised by any speculation or uh, deliberation of inquisitive men, nor do they, like some, proclaim themselves the advocates of any merely human doctrines. But inhabiting Greek as well as barbarian cities, according as the lot of each of them has determined, and following the customs of the uh, uh, natives in respect to, to clothing, to food, and the rest of their ordinary conduct. Okay, this is really cool. The early Christians who were one removed from Christ, and that they were they were these were all church plants from the apostles. Um, the Christians were instructed by the apostles to go into these communities and to respect the local customs. When you're in Ireland, have fun on St. Paddy's Day. <laughs> to eat the local food, don't, oh, I don't eat that. Uh, to, to dress like the locals dress. You know, obviously in modesty would, would be a caveat there. Uh, and, and be a part of whatever city they're in. <clears throat> They display to us their wonderful and confessedly striking method of life. They dwell in their own countries, but simply as sojourners, as citizens, they share in all things with others, and yet endure all things as if a foreigner. So Christians live in all cities, but what this letter is saying, they live like pilgrims. Not overly attached to their stuff, to their things, that if... The government says, renounce Christ or we're going to seize your property. Okay, take my stuff. <laughs> they weren't overly attached to these things. Every foreign land is to them as their native country. Isn't that interesting? So they're not overly attached to the places that they're placed, and yet they love the places in which they are placed. It almost seems like a contradiction, but it's very much of being in the world, but not of the world. And then it goes on, and every land of their birth is a land of strangers. And of course, this is talking about the advance of the early church, to advance the gospel to the ends of the world. You know, today, m most uh, uh, there, there are people groups that don't know who Jesus is, but in a large part, the gospel has advanced. Uh, throughout the globe. And in the beginning, it was largely because these guys kept pushing onward and onward and onward. We know St. Thomas, uh, you know, the disciple, apostle, uh, he went, went all the way to India. And so we have, you know, Christians went all over the place. <clears throat> Uh, they marry, as all as do all others. They beget children, but they do not destroy their offspring. Isn't that interesting? 
as we're thinking about living in a state of readiness and preparedness and walking in the will of God, one of the things we have to see immediately in the early, early guys is that the early church was distinguished, and it's not just in this letter, it's in many letters. The early church was distinguished, was marked by the fact that they didn't kill their children born with defects. In barbaric countries and in Rome, if you had a child that was born with a handicap or Down syndrome or something was wrong, they would kill the children. But Christians were known for not doing that. And, and I, I've, I'm starting to read enough ancient writings to realize how radical that was uh, in, the, in the first century. And it really rocked a lot of people because these Christians not only took care of their own children with birth defects, they would adopt and take other kids, uh, other people's children with birth defects and raise them. And why? Because all children were made into the image of God. So this is an image bearer. We can't destroy this. This person has a soul. And so they took care of people with horrible horrible uh, dismemberments and, and struggles. And, and this is why, as we now we think about our culture, this is particularly why pro-choice Christianity is such an oxymoron. There is no framework in, in, in the Bible, in the early church, in the people who knew the apostles, in the early instructions. It would have been absolutely untenable and pagan, even antichrist, to proclaim a faith in Jesus Christ that allows the slaughter of children. That is a cut and dry issue. That is a cut and dry issue. There is no wiggle room there. And yes, you know, I hear some Christians who vote pro candidates that are that are pro-choice and I think they're wrong um, but um, you know they, they say that it's a very complex issue uh, and there are complexities to this who's going to take care of the children what do we do with this what do we do with that of course but um, clearly to the early church this would have been unimaginable unimaginable to um advocate or support the slaughter of children just is not within the framework of the early church uh they have a common now this is really cool they have a common table but not a common bed so the whole outside world's looking at christians and they're they're constantly eating and sharing meals with one another but then you know they're drinking wine they're having fun and then instead of taking the natural progression of swingers <laughs> everyone goes back to their own homes which was you know a, a somewhat huh in that culture the, these families they shared dinner tables they shared meals they shared resources but they would not give themselves into any sort of sexual promiscuity so in the early church the the church was known as an from, from having an absence of sexual sin um, even from the early days, it was something that really made them stand out. <clears throat> they are in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. 2 Corinthians 10.3 uh, They pass their days on earth, but they are citizens of heaven. They uh, uh, obey the prescribed laws and at the uh, same time surpass the laws by their lives. So, 
we are a country's best citizens. Christians were even in the even in the beginning they they were the best the country had they were loyal they were faithful they paid their taxes they went above and beyond the law of the land and they love all men and are persecuted by all but yet they're hated supernaturally hated I wonder why the evil one who has been thrown to earth through rashes thrashes and rages they are unknown and condemned. They are put to death and restored to life. They are poor, yet make many rich. They are in lack of nothing, and yet abound in all. So they were persecuted, but then abounded at the same time. And, and I'm struggling whether this means emotionally, spiritually, or if this means uh, monetarily and tangibly. Uh, and maybe it's both. Maybe that's why it's vague, because it's all-encompassing. Maybe the as they were crushed, they abounded in joy, which certainly is, um, you know, Paul, Paul Philippians, Philippi would say the same thing. Uh, but also, God provides for his people. Uh, they are dishonored, and yet in their very dishonor are glorified. They are evil. They are... They are evil spoken of, so spoken of as evil, and yet are justified. They are reviled and blessed. They are insulted and repay the insult with honor. What an indictment against nasty Facebook and people snipping at each other. It's just not consistent. They do good, yet they are punished as evildoers. When punished, they rejoice as if quickened into life. They are assailed by the Jews as foreigners. They are persecuted by the Greeks. Yet those who hate them are unable to assign any reason for their hatred. From the beginning, there was a supernatural hatred for God's faithful people. Even though they were kind and generous and giving and caring, they were hated. Uh, let's keep reading here. To sum up all in one word, what the soul is in the body, Christians are in the world. Now this is really good and this is our last section. The soul is dispersed through all the members of the body and Christians are scattered through all the cities of the world. The soul dwells in the body yet is not of the body and Christians dwell in the world and yet are not of the world. So as the soul is to the body, it's in us, but it's it's separate then. Christians are in the world, yet separate. And the invisible soul is guarded by the visible body, and Christians are known indeed to be in the world, but their godliness remains invisible. The flesh hates the soul and wars against it, though itself suffering no injury because it is prevented from enjoying pleasures. The world also hates the Christian, though it now lies injured, though it now lies injured because they abjure pleasures. The soul loves the flesh that hates it and loves also the members. Christians likewise love those that hate them and soul is imprisoned in the body and keeps together that very body. The Christians are confined in the world as in a prison, and yet they keep together the world. The immortal soul dwells in an immortal tabern in a, the immortal soul dwells in a mortal tabernacle, and Christians dwell as sojourners in corruptible bodies. 
looking for an incorruptible dwelling in the heavens. The soul, when but ill provided with food and drink, becomes better. In like manner, the Christian, though subjected day by day to punishments or persecution, increase the more in number. They're, they defeat the dragon as they love their lives not unto death. Are you seeing this letter was written 40 years after Revelation, give or take. And here we see that as the Christians are persecuted and treated terribly, they partake in the defeat of the beast. They become dragon slayers. God has assigned them this illustrious position, which it were more of which were unlawful for them to forsake. The, the early church, and we're going to wrap up here in a minute. The early church acted the way that they did because they were living in a state of readiness to meet the Lord. They were actively pursuing and living in the will of God in a way that they lived as pilgrims in this world. They were a part of society in every way, and yet they were ready. They were walking in the will of God. They were in the grain mill, they were walking in the field ready as sojourners, ready to depart and meet with the Lord, as we think of Matthew 24, the Olivet Discourse. And, and, and this is what I want us to close on. May this be us. May we, may we be the best citizens America has. May we have deep roots and, and be involved in society and and share our tables and, and, and advance the gospel of God. But let us also not be a, a, attached to the trappings of this world. Let, let us be the best citizens of, uh, uh, that, that we can in America, but yet greater citizens of another. To, to be wholly devoted to Christ, no matter what it costs us. And so I wanted to read this, this letter, um, the epistle to Diognetus, because... It shows us what it means to live in a state of readiness, of preparedness to meet the Lord. You know, a lot of people, and, and I, I, I'm, I'm emphatic on this, because somehow turning to Christ has become a one-time, one-moment decision to love Jesus. And I prayed a prayer, I walked forward at a crusade, and I'm done. But what you see as you study the Bible, as you study church history, is, is a, a godly person, a person who's going to meet the Lord in, in a positive way, are people that spend every day, every day pursuing God's will for them. And, and we, we need to get into this, this mindset of it's, you know, and I'm sure most of you listening know all this, but we, we need to <coughs> be in a state of constant preparedness and readiness in pursuing the Lord in all things uh, and not getting caught up in the trap of the cares of this world as we see in the parable of Sower. I think that's Matthew 13. Uh, and, and live as sojourners to be in the world but not of the world. So that's it. I hope this wasn't too boring to you. To me, it's fascinating uh, to read the letters to the people who were the disciples of the apostles. Uh, I think they're very instructive and... Um, Hopefully it was a blessing to you. So let's pray. God, we love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask that you be with us today and bless us today and guide and direct us today. Be with us now. We love you and we praise you. And in Jesus' name, 
be with us now. Amen. I love you guys so much. Keep me in prayer. I got a lot going on this week, but um, just pray for me. So I, I love you all so much, and I'll see you Sunday. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this Calvary Baltimore B-Side. If you'd like to get in touch or come visit us at Calvary Baltimore, our website is calvarychapelbaltimore.org. You can email us at calvary.faithlife at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you've been blessed by today's teaching and would like to donate to the work that God is doing through Calvary Baltimore, go to our website at calvarychapelbaltimore.org and click Donate Now. Until next time, as Pastor Josh says, study the Word to live the Word to share the Word. And join us again for the next Calvary Baltimore B-Side.